Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by the Black Tux. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. And believe it or not, everybody, Notre Dame is, as we sit here right now, nine days away from the start of spring drills. Next Friday, March 1st, we'll meet with Brian Kelly and then have an opportunity to see the first uh, first glance at the Notre Dame team of 2019. And, you know, per usual in the spring, there are, there are a lot of uh, areas of concern, hot topics. What do, what do you guys, what what are some of the topics that interest you the most heading into spring? I mean, uh, how linebacker sorts out is probably number one. Um, you know, personally, I'm interested to see what Phil Jakovic looks like running 11 on 11. And then, um, you know, can you get something well, not something, but a lot more of something out of, uh, you know, Kevin Austin and Michael Young. Can you find a, a receiver <laughs> who can actually run away from somebody other than um, Chris Fink, who I think runs away from people when they're in front of him? I want to see somebody run by somebody and then uh, and then make a play. So those those will be three things off the top of my head that, that I'm really curious about. <laughs> Kevin Austin's number one for me because at this point last year, if he would have been an early enrollee, that's all I would have wanted to see was who I thought might be a, a guy that could break into Notre Dame's rotation Con, you know, consistently, which didn't happen last year. I, you never give up on a guy after after one year. I'd love yeah. to see Austin. I, I think I like to see Austin take that spot. I expect him to, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always liked Michael that, Young, but I like. I think he could should take the spot of Kevin Austin in the next eight months. Uh, yeah, I I think that there's the staff is is higher on Michael Young than a lot of other people are, and I, I think that just has to do with we've sort of forgotten about Michael Young. Mm-hmm. Um, he said had a bit of an anonymous sophomore season, um, and Kevin Austin is newer and brighter and shinier. Guys uh, getting written uh, off. And then we're sort of like season. also like the Lawrence Keys, Braid Lindsay. I, I think if you look at who, who are people among Keys, Lindsay, Young, who are people most interested to see <laughs> on a message board, Young would be three by a wide yeah. margin, only because we've already seen something and we haven't seen anything of those other two. And we've heard good things about Young in the past, and he just hasn't emerged. So it's only natural that you look to the next level. For me, really, though, it's, I mean, the two areas where I think there's the, the most significant drop-off from where they were is they don't have anybody close to Jerry Tillery. I mean, just in terms of length and athleticism and penetration ability, can Tagovailoa most have become that guy? Sure. Is Kurt Heinisch on the rise? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But I think that's, they don't have a guy like that. And then remember it was last year at this time where we said the off, there's no way the offensive line can be as good in 2018 as it was in 2017. Of course it wasn't. Uh, or, uh, we got that right. We, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's that, that definitely was right. A, right. <laughs> and the same as a linebacker this year. I mean, no, no matter right. how much, right. I mean, no matter how much or who emerges at, at linebacker, you're not going to have Coney and Tranquil playing there. I asked the question Monday, and I'll pose it to you, Pete. Will they miss Nelson and McGlinchey? Will they miss Coney and Tranquil more than they miss Nelson and McGlinchey on the field on Saturdays? Yes. That's what everybody, I think that was the consensus response, too. That's that's a big... That's huge. I mean, you can't. You The, the instincts, I mean, the, the natural instincts that Tavon Coney took on the field drew, drew Tranquil, one of the smartest football players on the field. And the toughness and experience. That's you don't right. you could these guys might be tough, but you can't you don't just all of a sudden have the confidence to play your game your first day out there. Just odds like are, Coney did not. Odds are you don't have a linebacker coming up that'll that could break his hand in the fifth game and not miss any time and then suffer a ridiculously bad high ankle sprain and still start every game. That's not going to happen. No, that's a major rebuild. Yeah. And there's not – I look at the linebacker position, it's like 
do you look at that? Who's the Liam Meikenberg of the linebackers? Right. Who's um, who's like even the Aaron Banks of the linebackers? I, I think that there's not a an era apparent there that you feel like you've been building toward over the last couple of years. It's I I don't feel that way about the game ready era apparent. John Jones yeah. or Bo Bauer, um, you know, Asmar Bilal, you know, Shane Simon. I think would be the closest to. Oh, I can, I can see where something good is going to happen there down the road, but he hasn't. Done well, and we might have, we might feel that way about Jonathan Jones now, except that, you know, last year Bo Bauer basically beat him I out, which I, I know still astonishes you. I don't understand it really, yeah. because I don't think he's going to beat him out this spring. Uh, maybe there's I see nothing but a high character player in John Jones, so I don't. There's yeah. no, the traits aren't going to be associated with that. One more spot for me is I want to see if Tariq Bracy is the starter or is named a starter. Mm. Does that make sense to you? Is, do you look out there and go, oh, Tariq Bracey is the other yeah, starter I right think, now? And, and actually, I think there's a good chance of that. I, I, you know, Provided that he's used these last couple months to get a lot stronger, which I'm sure he has. Matt Bayless has made sure of that. I, you know, I, I think that that will happen. Uh, I'm putting a lot of uh, um, stock in or, or the notion that Jafar Armstrong is going to emerge as the clear number one running back. I mean, he started ahead. When they didn't have Dexter Williams last year, he started ahead of, of Tony mm-hmm. Jones Jr. So no reason to expect anything otherwise, but he needs to get – he really, really needs to stay healthy throughout all 15 practices in the spring. He couldn't do that last year, and obviously he couldn't stay healthy during the season. It was one thing we did project last year, though, was that Jafar Armstrong would have trouble being a running back full-time getting hit. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Brian Kelly talked about his work volume so much and how amazing it was, but those are in non-game day. Saturday no, it's true, and it's good to have that work volume yes, asset. That, yeah. I mean, that, that that's huge, but he has to cross that next barrier, um, and and I think that he has to start proving that. I, you know, cornerbacks. I, I agree. You know, it's going to Tariq Bracey is going to be interesting. I, I would like to see. Um, you know, multiple guys really start taking a step forward. Not not necessarily that they're capable of playing on a regular basis, but DJ Brown, who I think showed some promise last year, mm-hmm. you'd like to see him step up. The fanfare and the film that accompanied Noah Boykin coming out of high school, you'd certainly like to him to see him take a major step forward as well. I think the lastly, I would like to see Cole Komet go from a guy with potential to like, wow, that's a that's a stud tight end yeah. out there. Um you know, he's flashed it a little bit, but not a lot. And I think there's there's an assumption sort of baked into next year that that's going to happen. Like, okay, ha- let's well, have that happen that, in spring practice. Yeah, that was something that I brought up a while ago. And it's not that I'm doubting him. It's just that sentiment exactly. I'm sure. It's time now. Nobody's in front of you. Brock Wright's a different type of tight end. Uh, absolutely, he has to step forward. He, By the way, he got rocked in his uh, first appearance uh, in Notre Dame baseball uniform this year, Arizona State. No, nah, that's another story. But uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't get off to a real good start. I think he had a second appearance and, and, and pitched better. But he needs to. It's a big spring for him uh, as well. Punter, kicker. I mean, I think we it don't goes, get to see him much in the spring. No, we don't, and we may not see them at all until the Blue Goal game on April thirteenth. Um, what about? Because the roof is 10 feet high when they practice football. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> and in that, it's, it's, I stand by something I said in an earlier podcast. Like, I really don't care what I see until Louisville. Like, with the kick, with yeah, the specialist. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Get out there in a game. Okay. Then, then we'll see. I'm not going to just, I'm not going to put really much of stock in, in what no, I see. No, I would like certainly to Certainly spring ball and very little in August. I would so. like to see Jay Bramlett with a real quality leg swing. 
you know, I mean, I just just see the technique that's going to lead to being a, a consistent punter. Uh, I, I wrote about this in Thursday Thoughts. You know, they're 10 early entry freshmen or mid-year freshmen. Um, I think, you know, long-term, we're all excited to see what the offensive lineman can do. Right. Uh, Osafo Mensa, But, you know, Spears, he's, he's injured. Uh, but those guys are kind of down the road. The four guys that I pegged um, among the, the mid-year entries, one is Kaiser because I'm just curious to see what, what Clark Lee sees. Another, of course, is Jacob Lacey because they need him. Right now he's number two on the depth chart. Uh, third third one being Kyron Williams. We took a question a week or two ago you mm-hmm. know, about can he be that third running back. I want to see that fifth gear that, that we talk about. And then Bramblett because right now he's the guy that he's, he's he the punter. Start, right? Yeah, he's the punter. What about you guys with the, the early entry freshman? I mean, Lacey is one based on necessity. I mean, they need him to play because considering Jamie and Franklin ruptured his quad. Uh, beyond that, I think Kyron Williams is is a pretty clear number two um, by a wide margin, just because he's he's got a chance to to push Sebo Flemister, Jameer Smith, Avery Davis, and if he can push himself beyond that, like I I don't think we're gonna see a fifth gear because I don't think there is a fifth gear there, which is which is fine in college. Jerry Walker didn't have a fifth gear and had a couple of thousand yard seasons. Well, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point. I don't think know, there is fifth gear either. Bramblet is. Is the punter like <laughs> whether he's shanking it out of bounds or killing fifty-five yard punts? He's the punter, and then Jack Jack Kaiser, I, I think, is more of a kind of an oddity almost because I, I think he'll probably be a special teams player. He's got a chance to do that, but like they don't need him to be a rover this year. It's just, that's more of a okay one A football. Now you're at Notre Dame. Let's see what let's see what that looks like. But that should have very little impact on twenty nineteen in the fall. The- Kaiser is a curiosity for me in the spring because of the massive rise in his yeah. ranking. And then, yeah, I think uh, I we've talked about, the obviously, freshman fun to talk about, but guys like Owusu Koromo is the next rover in and, and the guy that could challenge, you know has to try to sure. challenge Simon. So he's one to watch. And with Kyron Williams, for me, we talked about this last week, Tim. I think Sebo Flemister, if everything is equal <laughs> off the field, that he is the guy that will rise above Williams. But that's what makes that... You'll be able to look at 15 practices and know what the staff thinks because I expect you'll see Jameer Smith or Avery Davis as the third back the first time we go out there. That doesn't matter, really, because they, they do kind of line up on your first practice with some mm-hmm. seniority. You want to see the first time Sebo or Kyron Williams is the third guy if he's getting reps in a scrimmage. Because remember yeah. last year, Avery Davis would get reps in a real scrimmage. One In the in the first team, you'd insert him to give him a chance. Who do they insert? Yeah, Kyron Williams is one of the few guys that the blue-gold game is actually sort of uh, I think. significant, yeah. um, you know, in the same way that it was for Jafar Armstrong last year, and we thought maybe it could have been for Avery Davis. It was not, you know, not really, but you know, for Jaf- Jafar Armstrong, he showed something that carried over. Um, you know, Kyron Williams will have a chance more in April than March to yeah. to show that he belongs. Are we too. are we overlooking? And Tim, you just mentioned Avery Davis, but I mean, are we underestimating his opportunity within this? Uh, Offense moving through 2019. He, they were so high on him. They last were very, yeah. See, they were very, very yeah. high on him. I think the. I mean, obviously, he lost his chance to, to contribute last year with the two fumbles at Stanford. But your only goal putting in that running back is, hey, you got to protect the football and run this clock out. You can't fumble twice in that situation. So they lost trust in him. Um, and they got Dex at that and point. And as long as they had Williams, Armstrong, and but Jones, they didn't have Armstrong. They didn't have remember, Armstrong, at that and they time, still no. weren't using him. So I, I mean, I think he gets a reboot too. 
I think yeah. he gets another, it's certainly well. You want another speed component with Armstrong, and I think I think Armstrong's a speed component. He's not Dexter Williams fast, uh, but you need that. You know, who's who's your next speed guy? Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to Tony Jones isn't that, and Flemister isn't that, and Jameer Smith isn't that, and we don't think Kyron Williams is quite that. Yeah. Well, the we'll speed see. guy, the straight speed guy. It's just, yeah. I mean, I, I, listen, as we've all pointed out, quickness is more important than straight line speed and is a running back and being able to run through a tackle. But, yeah, I think we probably overlooked Avery Davis too much. I guess he's probably the guy that's the third running back to start off yes. spring ball. So yeah. That, yeah, and he'll get plenty so. of chances. I would think so. Okay, segment two, bunch of questions from our readers. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast is sponsored by the Black Tux. Take the hassle out of tuxedo or suit rental. With Black Tuck's easy online ordering process, plus Irish Illustrated listeners get $20 off their tuxedo or suit rental, just visit theblacktux.com slash listen. That's theblacktux.com slash listen for $20 off your purchase. Our first question comes from at MTFL Smitty. One last look back. What were the three best Nordane moments of the 2018 season? Smitty put down a few categories, so I think I'll follow. Most surprising, most important, and joyful, or best. <laughs> uh, surprising for me was just how good Ian Book was. I don't think I've been that surprised by a non-freshman, or no freshman there, by a college football player at Notre Dame that I had watched plenty before that, as to all of a sudden, at one point at the end of last year, he was one of the top quarterbacks in the country. That yeah, was the most I, surprising for me. Yeah, I I would agree with that, because... And a lot of people said, you know, well, it's just Wake Forest, and then Wake Forest was awful defensively. But it was the way he played the position, and you suddenly felt after that game, like, and especially since they were now 4-0 and after the game, it's like, okay, now they've got a real shot. You feel, felt better about the upcoming Stanford game, which you probably would have won with Brandon Wimbush now in... in, in uh, yeah, you never know how those go. With yeah, in retrospect. But, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I didn't look at it like... One most surprising, one most important. Just the the top moments for me. Nordane's performance at Virginia Tech. Remember, because we were st- it, playing on the road and winning on the road was such a big deal. And if I had to pick out one play, of course, it'd be Dexter Williams' yeah. long run, which really bailed them out as they were struggling to start the second half. De- and for that matter, Dexter Williams' first carry of the season against Stanford. Um, also made you feel like, okay, now this team can can really compete. And probably the lasting memory of, is being in the Coliseum, being on the sideline and the swing pass to Tony Jones, and he came running right by us, right in front of us, and you knew at that point that Notre Dame was uh, going to the playoffs. I thought that surprising um, – I don't know why we don't talk about the first half against Michigan um, anymore. Did they just but put like, it on them? Yeah. yeah. They they hammered them yeah. for for two quarters, yeah. and then it was a, a close closer game late. Like that was for Alize Mack to make a, that contested catch for Chris Fink to like jump over somebody. Um, yeah, before all, before the first quarter was over, you thought, okay, Notre Dame's going to beat Michigan now. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. in a split second, yeah. it went like that. That was surprising. Right. The that ease was of a couple like, drives going down to score. It was a pick em game, and you felt like that was. It was one of the games that either it was going to send Notre Dame season one direction or the other. And the fact that it was so clear after 15 minutes, I thought was really surprising. Um, uh, you know, just the, the switch to Ian Book at 3 and 0 um, was surprising because I don't think coaches get that creative sometimes. They had to think outside the box a little bit. Uh, and then uh, I think the most important moment of the season was when I when I didn't run into a deer driving from Blacksburg back to my hotel in West Virginia at four in the morning, and like one ran right alongside my car as I was driving this windy country road. Um, that was uh, those nighttime drives. After that was a rough are... trip back. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, that's, that took some time to recover yeah. from. I slept for thirty minutes in a chair. My, remember, my friends and I rented a house in Blacksburg. Oh, oh that's right. That's right. Yeah, that was an important moment of the season that I think got sort of lost in uh, 12 and 0. <laughs> it was like, not dying. Um, and I would say one more shout out to Dexter Williams because he made the season extremely fun. Dexter Williams is a difference maker on offense. Yeah, no doubt. That we saw in August when he was suspended. We saw him turn a corner in a scout team thing, and every writer there looked at each other in the middle of Notre Dame Stadium and thought, holy cow, is he faster than their other guys, yeah. and he made it kind of fun. Yeah. Wash ND. Considering ND is going into a season with true quarterback stability, no shared duties, and the same undisputed starter as the previous season for the first time in the Kelly era, how good can the offense be? And will it have to carry the defense for the early part of the schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the next step in the evolution of Ian Book, uh, the offensive line um, I wrote about this in Thursday Thoughts. Who will, you know, he had clear-cut leaders the last two years. Bars and Mustafer. I thought Mustafer struggled this year, but he was a leader. Um, and and Bars certainly became that. And, of course, you had the two first-rounders from the, the previous year. But who, who's going to emerge as the, uh, you know, the true leaders of that offensive line? We know the guys that have playing experience, but, uh, you know, can they lead the way the other guys do? But, yeah, I think they have that. The, the, there is that opportunity, and, and Ian Book hitting the ground running is a huge, huge advantage as you go into the spring, which you didn't feel like Brandon Wimbush was going to hit the ground running in the spring. No, I, I think that Ian Book mentally taking a, a step forward is, uh, for all the discussion about improving on the deep ball and that, like, I would rather him understand where blitzes are coming from and understand how to read a, an end who's dropping Absolutely. into coverage more. I think he's got a huge amount of room to improve in that area, and he needs to. I mean, they – I don't know. And I guess in terms of this offense being better because of quarterback stability, I I mean, I guess, but there's no Dexter Williams. So the offensive line needs to take a big step forward. When should Cole come out in the first segment? He needs to take a big step forward. The Austin Young, Young dynamic. I mean, there's a lot of pieces. Yeah, you lost your number one. You're clear yeah. number one receiver. There's Can a lot to, for them to work with. Um, but Ian Book needs to get a lot better because I do think they're going to have to carry the defense in the early part of the Can season. Can Claypool make that jump? I mean, to where he is the leader of the receivers. He made a sig- he made a significant jump yeah. last year. He needs to make another significant jump in terms of leadership. I mean, there's they do have like their SWAT team leader type stuff. He's not one of them. Take his, you yeah, know, make his. make of that what you will. But I, I think he's Claypool has has more to take care of with himself than he needs to be in terms of a leader yeah. of other people. It's his last year, though, man. I mean, I agree. If not now, when? I don't maybe, know. Dexter Williams not. was newcomer of the year as a senior. <laughs> <laughs> he was fast. Time, <laughs> time is all relative. I, honestly, I have a little, um, I'd say, counterpoint to having to carry the defense early. I think the defense. 
first 22 and then the backups on the defensive line will be fine. I think it's when some attrition hits a corner. The first 11. The first the first 11, I'm not sorry. The, not the first 22. The first 11 plus the backup defensive ends and yeah. stuff where you have enough guys there. The defensive line, the ends are can be exceptional. It's really incredible. That they, they can, can be go, exceptional. They go, yeah, they can legitimately go three deep. Yeah, they did go three deep. And then the safeties are veterans that are really good all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You have a good corner in pride. I think linebackers, obviously, that's the concern, so I'm not going to say that the defense is set and ready to roll, but I think they, until you lose one of those ends that's a difference maker, there's a question coming up about this. Mm-hmm. I like the defense early. Georgia makes it hard, obviously, but that's yeah, again, and, everybody. And Pride, Pride will be making a transition mm-hmm. uh, in his own right, moving to the, the field side. I mean, it's Louisville boundary New side. Mexico. Moving I mean, to the boundary. I mean, yeah. boundary side. The defense should Did be I, fine You know what, I wrote Louisville that. I, I miswrote that today, too. Thanks for reminding me. I corrected while we're doing this. Uh, next question from at Dan underscore Brian 21. Does Notre Dame need a surprise All-American for them to make the playoffs? If so, who is the best candidate to do that? I, I think they need the All-American we think can be All-Americans to make the playoffs. Like Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem for me. Aloe Gilman. I I went a little bit beyond, like one, the answer. The first question is yes. Um, but it can be those guys, right? It can just, like, what if at the end of the year we're talking about Second team All American Jafar Armstrong, yeah. I mean, or Ian Book behind Trevor Lawrence. There's a lot of good quarterbacks out there, right? That's yeah. I don't. That, I'm saying I don't that that's, like Jafar Armstrong actually has a better yeah, chance. But than right, Ian Book. That, but that's surprise. Yeah, like, <laughs> There's yeah. You need, I think, a, probably a couple surprise stories, and one of them maybe needs to bubble up to an All American level. I mean, it's like yeah. you had Julian Acquire, Khalid Kareem. Would that be that big of a surprise? No, but I think you need somebody. Like, Jafar Armstrong, while I think we like him, he didn't really, what, he had like 350 yards last year? Yeah, it was under 400 yards. Yeah, not a lot of production. No, but he was third on the team in touchdowns behind Dexter Williams and Miles Boykin. He he just had an odd season with that whole chunk. He did. And and, you know what's funny is the performance against Navy was first game back where you thought, okay, he's back. And then that was basically it. Uh, Brian Kelly expressed concern about how much they used him against Navy. And I don't think he was really the same again after no. that. So, uh, legit. Jim underscore Booney underscore CRS. It looks like Nordame hired an uh, offensive line GA, Ben Cotton. Uh, do GAs typically have any tangible impact on a unit's performance, or are they strictly more film and research junkies? Have there been any previous GAs you feel that have stood out in the past especially in the realm of player development. There was definitely one this past year. Yeah, and also, um, just looking up, the name escapes me that went with Elko. Worked with the Tyler linebackers. Santucci. Tyler Santucci was very much a hands-on yeah. aid on the field. He's a full-time uh, position coach at Wake Forest. He, he really knew his stuff. You knew it. There was a time Clark Lee was uh, absent because of the birth of his and kids. And he ran, he ran the show. He was running the show, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so there is value. You don't have to have all of your assistant or grad assistants and VAs, um, excuse me, analysts, grad assistants report, analysts uh, know those things, but you have to have a couple guys that can yeah. really help out. Well, last year's guy was Larry Black Jr. Yeah. on the defensive line, and, and um, pretty much to a man, those defensive linemen professed their great love and respect for what he did uh, in accordance, of course, with with Mike Elston. So that's the, that's the most recent example. There's two in a row. I mean, that's... Yeah. yeah. If you have a good position coach... Your GA is probably going to be good too, because it's like you That's can't point. you can't follow the lead of a bad position coach. I mean, Brian Young was a good GA, two thousand nine. Remember him? 
Kyle McCarthy. Now he's the defensive line coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, that's right. Kyle McCarthy, Kyle McCarthy was, really was really good, too. He ran the safeties for a while there. That yeah. was, that's, you know, it is important to answer Jim Booney's question. It is. And you know what? I, I, I want to say that I had a I had a subscriber pushing me last year. You need to do a story on the GAs. Just put out the put out the information out there on them. And I never did that, but I, I swear that I'm going to do that. Just so you have a little bit of background I mean, it'll be a you know it'll end up being a throwaway story for most people. You zip through it; the name doesn't mean anything. And but when you see their when just you call see them their, Bryant Young, yeah, <laughs> when you see their their you know some of the, their background, which in the case of Ben Cotton has a a, a pretty impe- impressive background up to this point, then you know it tells you a little bit of a story. All right, next one at JJ Alwine is Brock Wright as limited as his role thus far would indicate. What's next after command at the tight end position this season and beyond? Yeah, it's a kind of a a B-side curiosity of spring ball to see if there's a, a bigger role for Brock Wright because I think the coaching staff perception of him is he's just sort of a guy right now. He's a little bit stiff. He really messed up his shoulders freshman year in bowl practices. Um, you know, they, can he be better than what Nick Wisher was last year? You would hope so. Um, is he going to be the next John Carlson? Probably not. Um, but I still think a commit right combination at tight end would be good. Um, there's no reason that that, that can't be a productive I can't combination. Be- yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't believe you can't involve him in the passing end a little bit more. And he caught a touchdown pass at Wake Forest, I think it was. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is just, that's just pure deception. Wake Forest wasn't anticipating that. But, um, you know, you mentioned he's a little bit stiff. That's a term that we've heard come out of the, the football office and and. You know, until he proves something otherwise, then his role is probably going to be his role. But because of the situation, because of Alizé Mack being gone, and because Komet is now you know at the forefront with Wright, you would think that they're they can expand what they can do with Brock Wright a little bit. That's how I feel. There's more snaps, and he's a complement to Cole Komet. He's not the next Cole Komet. If Cole Komet goes down, they don't have the weapon that you want to have a tight end yeah. for this season. But he's a junior, two years removed from the shoulder surgery quality player that can take some snaps. Yeah, you know, and and the interesting thing, I I started to do a series that I did two years ago, and now I'm updating with the guys that played the last two years, and it's the best, Kelly's best by position, and it only includes the guys that were um, recruited. And and really, the production of the tight ends since Brian Kelly got there, not counting the guys that were mm-hmm. uh, recruited by... Eifert. Yeah, Rudolph and Eifert in particular. Um, they haven't put up you know, real big numbers at tight end. Oddly, the first one Kelly recruited, not the I guess he had Hendricks in there, or excuse me, uh, Welch, but uh, Troy Nicholas, the one he moved over, was really productive for his yeah. year uh, starter, his year as a starter in 13. Yes. Wasn't really recruited as such, but. No, well, I, I kid that probably could have played about three or four different. Yes. Well, he did play two different positions, yeah. but probably could have played three or four. To put a bow on it, Brock Wright, 57 snaps, Alizé Max 650. Comet 355 and Wisher 220, so a lot more snaps. 350 snap season, I think, almost by default. Right, because they, they like having two tight ends in yeah. there. At CMU Penn's fan, how much more effective can the Irish offense be this year with Chip Long knowing from spring ball on that his playbook does not have to be limited, unlike the first part of last year? I don't I don't know. I mean, it's is, is the playbook going to have everything in it? Probably should have more. It should have more because he the stuff he wants. He's talking about spring I, last year with Wimbush. You knew you couldn't run some stuff, or at least well when the season started. You knew when you the season run stuff. started. You yeah. knew. I bet in the spring they thought they'd be able to run that stuff. 
because Wimbush sure. would make the strides. But by the time mid mid August rolled around, you knew you couldn't. I guess I just, I don't look at questions about the offense and think that Notre Dame's suddenly going to be Oklahoma. Like I think the offense will be good and it'll probably be it should be improved. But I, I don't look at Notre Dame's offensive skill position talent and think like suddenly they're going to start blowing the doors off people just just because it's year three of Chip Long. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I mean, I agree with the, the premise of the question that in theory that that's how it should work and they don't have to take a step back. They don't have to, for lack of a better term, dumb it down in order to run what he wants to run. I think we I think we saw a as the season unfolded with Ian Book, I think we saw a good portion of Chip Long's. Yeah. Playbook. Now, the lasting memory is the Cotton Bowl. And so, you know, you there's the tendency to think that, okay, well, you know, they were still kind of limited at the end of the year. They were playing Clemson, the best team in the country, to beat the crap out of everybody when it really counted. I mean, Clemson, USC was not like some sterling offensive performance. Northwestern was not some sterling offensive performance. Pittsburgh was not some sterling. Like, yeah, I There's think not a lot in November that you point to and say like, "Wow." Syracuse was really good, except for red zone. Yeah, yeah, Syrac- yeah. Sy- like Syracuse, they really should have scored sixty-five. <laughs> yeah, so no, they were really moving up and down the field. Yeah, you're, I think, you're right. Well, I yeah. think to, to your point, Pete, I, I, you know, I think just the overall level of ability of the offensive line by November just wasn't yeah. wasn't enough to really explode to the extent that you. They had a people get mad when I wrote to. that. What's that? That the offensive line wasn't good enough to win the it's championship. It's like how much more effective they well, can be. Well, we saw it. They, they can be a touchdown more per game effective. That'd be great. Like if that was, if they hit that, things are good, I'd say. You're pushing what, 40. What, what did they end up averaging last 34, year? 34, right? Was it 30, 34? Yeah. 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 You're pushing. You do need to push it now. And, I, and I'm not like. I, yeah, the total points is not yeah, what you're saying. Because it's yeah. like, I don't care. If you put 72 on New Mexico and yeah. 112 on Bowling Green, like that's going to help your averages. <laughs> that's not really that? the <laughs> point. Speaking yeah. of putting 72 on would, New Mexico. I would just like to see you score 24 at Georgia. That's what you said. And 35 against those Michigan. teams. Right. Like, yeah. those, those are the scores that I would like to see happen. Speaking of scoring big points on upcoming Notre Dame opponents, Brand Van Gorder, who we did not think was going to have the opportunity to coordinate a defense against Notre Dame, it's not going to be in the opener at Louisville, that but it's going fun. to be in yeah. Game 5 at home against Bowling Green, which is, I mean, you, you want to talk about reality being harder to believe than, I mean, you couldn't have come up with a fictional... No, he's going to get fired at Louisville, but he's still going to coach yes. against Notre Dame because he's going to Bowling Green. I wish he, the only thing I would say that would make that a little bit better for Notre Dame fans would be if he was coordinating Georgia's defense in <laughs> the game. I would, pretty important. I wish. <laughs> that would change a lot of things. Uh, this, one, this one from Kalise underscore fam five. Do you believe Phil Dracovic could unseat Ian Book at quarterback? Will he realistically be given the chance to do so? In spring ball? Absolutely not. In right. August? Absolutely not. I, I think, I think it, you could just say absolutely not. Then. No. What about June? I'm saying if that happened, it would almost it would have to be um, more of your traditional quarterback switch, where Notre Dame loses some games they yeah, shouldn't. Right. They're like, we got to spark the offense, change quarterbacks. Um, I th- this is really one of the reasons I'm interested to see Phil Jakovic and Spring Ball to see if there's even like a flicker of. This guy's going to put some pressure. It's on interesting. Book. You said you're looking forward to seeing him eleven on eleven. The point is that we never really saw him at eleven on eleven, except the because there Wake Forest, right? Yeah, there no, wasn't. Well, the Wake Forest yeah. game. But we never. He was third string quarterback, so the practices that we had access to in August, he did not throw live eleven on eleven. So we we didn't know. Um, can he unseat Ian Book at quarterback? 
I guess my answer would be I, I hope not, because then that would mean that Ian Book took such a backslide and there's no reason to believe that that's going to happen. Will he realistically be given the chance to beat out Ian Book? I, I mean, not, I, re- not really. No, I, I don't. And he. What if it's like last year where Wimbush ended the spring as the number one pretty clearly? You go through summer and you hit August and Chip Long wants Ian Book to start. But he knows he can't start him against Michigan. Is that a possibility with Phil Dracovic this year? I don't think so because they're not different quarterbacks. But you know what I'm saying? Like, Ian Book unseated Brandon Wimbush just unofficially last year. Right, but the distance, right, okay, but the distance between Book and Wimbush was very small. The distance between. That's true. He was replaced him in the bowl game. Right now is pretty sizable. He replaced him in the bowl game, you're right. Ian Book Book came in and replaced the quarterback in the bowl game, then was not the starter. Yeah. Yes. That's a big difference. I would say that Phil Dracovic's chance to start, barring injury, would be if Notre Dame scores 10 at Georgia and beats Virginia. 1613 the next week and then they look or at, loses or loses yeah, i was trying to make it happen on the, nice. on the podcast yeah <laughs> i just nice. i just don't believe that if that happened it would be because ian book is the one that's failing i would think it would be you don't have the mesh on the offensive mm-hmm. line or nobody stepped forward to replace miles boykin or the running back situation doesn't have that explosive back but who We're knows? trying to be hypothetical. Yes. We are. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, if Eric Kuma <coughs> excuse me, jumps aboard, all three of the recent grad transfers will have been wide receivers. Cam Smith, Freddie Cantina, and Eric Kuma. Is that just a coincidence? Or does it say something about Notre Dame's ability to develop wide receivers, the nature of the position, the nature of grad transfers, something else? Interesting question. Um, it is. So I did a quick look back because remembering that Cam Smith and Canteen came in for the 2017 season when Corey Holmes and Justin Brent should have been your seniors. That's why they were necessary. In 2019, if Kuma comes on, Kevin Stepperson and Miles Borkin should be your seniors, and they missed an entire year of recruiting wide receivers in between, which means that's why they need those guys. It is a hole in recruiting. Uh, in one case, it's a hole in your guy got too good and went pro. In another case, it was your guy liked uh, smoking weed and doing other things more than playing football. So there's a lot of things that go into it. Yes to all. Nature of position, nature of wide receivers, and recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. I think that they're available. Um, you know, if Notre Dame could sign a grad transfer at D-tackle, they would. But you wouldn't. Or you, a oh, linebacker, good call. they yeah, would. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying those those positions are harder to find uh, among grad transfers than wide receivers. Boykin and Stefferson here, though, there's no grad transfer coming in. Yeah, I mean, just it think is. about how many how many wide receivers are on a roster, okay? And then it's basically wide receivers and offensive linemen are the two positions where you have the most guys. Notre Dame doesn't need any offensive linemen and grad transfers. Wide receiver, they don't recruit nearly as well. Right. So it's I mean, it's recruiting, but I also think it's the nature of how rosters are built. And again... Let me express that when you have an opportunity to get a guy that caught 42 passes and, and yeah. Oh, yeah. 10 of them were 25 yards or more, and he scored seven touchdowns, which would have been, you know, second only to Miles Boykin, you take him. And if that stunts the growth of somebody else, well, shame on those players allowing him to stunt their growth. I agree 100%. LC14, hypothetically, what would be the most ideal news headline concluding spring practice? Notre Dame lands commitment from Chris Tyree, A.J. Heading, Braden McGregor, Riley Mills, and George Johnson. Also, Shea Patterson enters a supplemental draft. <laughs> the other part would be more important, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, mine would be Notre Dame Saul's defensive tackle depth issue. I'm not sure how the hell that could happen. That, that's why I'm saying. Like oh. The spring practice headline, whatever happens, 
it, it's almost impossible for like a positive to be proved as relevant for August. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's just like everything's good when you're practicing against yourself. Hypothetical. So maybe stuff. Gilman the last day saying that Tariq Bracey looks better than Julian Love ever did. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That'd be good for me. But uh, no, the defensive tackle makes sense. Brian Kelly expressing how well Jacob Lacey has played and all of us watching it and believing it completely. And then behind the scenes, all <laughs> the of the coaches, is the most important all, all of the coaches ex- agreeing that Jacob Lacey has looked outstanding. In this I'm program. going to regret bringing this up because there continue to be questions about this guy and we'll see what happens oh, this spring. No, but doing it. <laughs> I am doing it. Yes. Let's say Darnell Ewell has a really good spring and you say, okay, now he's a legitimate guy to get 10 to 15 snaps a game. That would be a pretty good headline. That would that would be significant because we all loved him coming out of high school, and he hasn't gotten any love since then, hasn't earned it, let's put it that way. Did you guys see um, the tweet this week showing Reggie White's club move on Larry Allen? When it made, this, made the rounds as the best not. pass rushing move ever. If Darnell Ewell does that to Banks and Eichenberg in the yes. Blue Goal game, then I will believe that that is But a we are saying headline. that we do not anticipate that happening. But, hey, I, I sure, for Notre Dame's sake and certainly for the sake of the kid, man, I hope he takes a huge step up. Uh, for those of you out there listening, Google Club Boove, Reggie White, Larry Allen. It's quite a thing. <laughs> At M. Malham, I know it's early, but what is your take? He said y'alls. He might be from Georgia. On the ten, well, it is a Georgia question. What That's is, what I what, thought. What is y'all's take on the 10.5-point spread on Notre Dame at Georgia? I have to admit that I did not prepare um, my analysis of Georgia and what they lost and what they have coming back for the purpose of this podcast. So I can't speak with great authority on Georgia. I do know that they lost a ton of guys following 2017 defensively, and then were still pretty damn good in, the, in last year. So uh, 10.5 seems like a lot. I, I, I guess I would be surprised at that stage of the season if when that game is actually played that that Georgia would be a 10 and a half point favorite it's a, I mean Georgia lost both coordinators I think every receiver on the team left um but Jake Fromm returns he got much better too they have a ridiculous amount of talent at running back uh I mean it's like if you thought Clemson had running back depth yeah you know, just wait till you see Georgia I I think it's a reasonable point spread, honestly. I don't I don't know what side of that I would bet. All right, I'm going to go with the Vegas um, look at this, M. Melham. I bet it's 8.5 that day. So if you're in the I game of double, getting points, double, double you get two digits. points extra. What was yeah. the spread when Notre Dame went to Oklahoma? It was started at 12, probably, right? Okay. Got down to 10.5, right around there. But you didn't have, yeah. a, the, I mean, part of that was because you didn't have expectations of Notre Dame at that point. They were They were still an upstart. There was a, yeah, they were more we were, of an upstart than seven and zero. They were yeah, they were seven and zero. That was our eight, that was the eighth game of the year, right? And then because Pitt was um, the hard one. I do remember the Scott Van Pelt show before that game saying, "Let's assume Oklahoma boat races Notre Dame." So that was kind of the look of that game. Going I in, like Georgia, a pro style offense with a good offensive line and great backs against a team with huge questions at defensive tackle and middle linebacker. Did you lay the ten and a half? Yeah, you make that's a good just point. like that, no, that's, that's not a, it's not a great matchup. No, that's legit in that way. I I just I, all I know is I'm really looking forward to going to Athens. You know, there, there's there, the the cool thing about uh, Notre Dame joining with the ACC is having opportunities to go places that in my you know 37 years these are places I just never had the opportunity to go to Georgia, Virginia Tech last year, um, Clemson, pretty cool. Looking forward to Georgia. 
I wish Georgia was in the ACC. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I realize they're not part No, but of the yeah, ACC. no, there's, they're, they're scheduled opening up in different – well, Oklahoma a few years ago for you. All right, we're going to – we are going to uh, wrap up with a couple basketball questions. We didn't mention basketball in the, in the first segment. Um, You're welcome. They, yeah, they, I, I, that game, you know, there, there, there are must-win games and there are can't-lose games. Must-win games are when you're decent and it's, you know, to get you to the next level. Right, 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 that right. was a can't-lose game to, to Wake Forest, a 72-65 home loss to Wake Forest the other night. Um, I'm not asking the question, but I am setting them up a little bit because it was a, it was really a bad, bad loss for Nordic. I think you make a great point because Mike Bray has played a lot of – must-win games in his career at Notre Dame where your bubble, can you get this? Yeah, even done pretty well in those. And even to the better part, can you get that first, the extra buy or the, you know, when he's kind of making his way into these right. conference tournaments, this is just, you can't embarrass yourself and make a public step backwards, Yeah, which and is what did. this was. Let's ask the questions from Statman72. The 2016 season was near a near-death experience for Brian Kelly, quote, near-death causing him to make major changes in running the program that have paid huge dividends the last two years. Will this season be near death for Mike Bray, or will he have to suffer one more subpar season before being forced to shake things up? Uh, I, I don't think it will be a near-death experience. I mean, the, the coaching staff is, is kind of younger, and I don't think he'll make a, make a change there. I also think Notre Dame is a football school, and there's not pressure on him to do that in the way that it was with Brian Absolutely. Kelly. And I think he looks at, well, I know he looks at this as a two-year situation now. he's he's He is buoyed by the fact that they don't change their roster next year. Not all of us completely are. But as a coach, he, he has said, this is really neat. What college program brings back all their players, he's including Fluger. They, a lot of these guys better get a lot better. Well, I, you know, I because think... Rex Fluger is coming back. To play after a torn ACL, he suffered late winter. I mean, he's he's not going to hit the ground running as the season starts, so to speak. Yeah. No, I get, um, look. Nate Lashewski has to play with a, a lot more heart and determination. The inconsistency of his game. We're twenty six games into this now, and it's not like you know, it's not. Like, and actually, I think I think Prentice Hub is showing improvement, uh, with the exception of the last. 60 seconds of the Wake Forest game the other night when he had 11 points and nine assists and two of his four turnovers came in that last minute. I think he's showing some progress. Um, Dane Goodwin better be hurt because he's playing about as soft as a guy can play right now. After showing something, too, in mid-January. Yeah. I, I think he's probably a little hurt. Well, he's, had a, he's, he's had a hip flexor and yeah. he, he has knee wrap the other night, so he's a little banged up. The one... You know, Robbie Carmody, who knows what he would have given you, but he would have given you toughness, determination, hustle, bounce. I still think he would have given you more next year if he could have played this year, though. Uh, well, there's no to doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's lost all this experience. So um, to answer the question, I mean, I, I agree where Pete's coming from. And I also don't think that – I don't think Mike Bray's the type that's inclined to just, okay, we need to revamp everything. Okay, let's go ahead and do that. I, I don't think that – He's of that mindset. I don't know what there is to revamp. Like, you just, yeah, I don't you, know what you would say. The same team coming back. You got a brand it's, new facility and everyone coming back. Right, right. Let's I don't add, get it. Let's ask the last question because you mentioned facility. At Irish RVA, as it relates to the men's basketball team, recruiting seems to be subpar. Is it the staff that struggles to get it done, or is it the pro- program hampered by average facilities and other fact- factors like that? Uh, the recruiting has been a real poor. 
I mean, for how much la- the freshman class has been <laughs> celebrated, you need more than a freshman class. This isn't Duke or Kentucky. If you're going to be a developmental program, you should never be relying on freshmen as much as Notre Dame is relying on them right now unless you're recruiting a lot better freshmen. And, I mean, who among the freshman class hub has improved as the season has gone on? Not consistently, which is fine, but, like, you can see him improving. Glashevsky is a no. He came up big at Virginia in the second half, but that's not enough. Yeah, Goodwin, no. Carmody's hurt. Uh, Durham has not been yeah, oh, any of the I, players I since he... Well, I mean, since he came back from injury, he was playing real quality basketball before he got hurt. He had he had, he gave him a little spark the other night, six points in the first half against Wake Forest, but then that's about it. He he's you got to consider him a sure. freshman it or just, a new player. But I look at for the first time maybe since Bray's been there, like even when they weren't talented, they knew how to play basketball together. They don't know how to play basketball together, and it's it's the end of February. Like that's a that's a coaching problem. I think that. Look, Bray has been, was dealt a bad hand with injuries, and then the hand that he has, he's played poorly. Nothing bugs me more than a soft team, especially when I was coaching that team. <laughs> and this is a soft team. I don't like. I can't stand watching soft teams, and they they just have been. Now, whose fault is it? The the recruiting. I, I've got to. I mean, Mike Mike Bray's not a terror on the on the the the, the road recruiting. Uh, he no. just isn't. He never has been. That's a big part of it. They have right now, and it is backloaded with freshmen, six top 100 players on the team. Can you imagine the last time they had six top 100 players in their given class recruiting? The problem is they have not played anywhere near that. Four of them are freshmen, so that's an issue. This does not include Durham, who was a top 100 player. He was, one, was he 120. But either way, he was, he was up he there was. going to Connecticut. Yeah. But the problem is DJ Harvey, the 49th ranked player in the country, who's a sophomore right now, is supposed to be when you're the 49th ranked player in the country, and the one guy in the recruiting class should be by far the most impressive offensive player on the team for what he was recruited to be. And if he's not, it should be T.J. Gibbs, who is the 88th-ranked player in the country. You know what These happened? guys should be better. D.J. Harvey. Yeah, I know he got hurt. You guys are going to get know, a kick yeah, out of this. Yeah. D.J. Harvey reminds me of me from the standpoint <laughs> that, Whoa. listen, okay. as a baseball player, I reached my peak as a baseball player when I was 15. This went in a much better direction. Than okay. I it did. I reached my peak as a baseball Now, yeah. I went on and played college, yeah. but I was at my best against my peers at age 15. That's where D.J. Harvey was, too. I thought you meant you didn't cut to open spots for easy baskets. Yeah. But <laughs> just demanded the ball in the wing, yeah. took a dribble and shot from fading away from 18 and a half yeah. feet. So it when, two. when he was a sophomore, he was considered one of the best sophomores in the country. When he was a senior, he was not considered one of the best Correct. seniors yeah. in the country. And the Correct. issue is when your top 100s don't hit, there's your major recruiting hole, right? No doubt. I mean, good one. four had, guys that are fresh from the top 100, two of them should be playing at an acceptable right. ACC level to beat Wake Forest. Goodwin hasn't come anywhere close to being a top yeah. 100 player. That's... Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about before the podcast, for Bray to lament that Wake Forest has this huge athleticism advantage on Notre Dame, that's your problem. Yeah, it that's, is. No that's Mike Bray's problem. Because the best Mike Bray teams, that are not including the best teams, okay, they had great athletes. Mike Bray's best teams, not coincidentally, had great athletes on them. The two, the two, the elite, elite eight runs had great athletes and foot basketball players. His other really good teams that overachieved and won fourteen league games, thirteen league games, twelve. Yeah. They did not, and they got beat up on the backboards against the likes of Syracuse in the Big East, Dewan Blair in the Big East, North Carolina. Fine, totally fine. 
Fine. Yeah. That's it. That's only teams that should beat you up are the superior athletic programs that are always superior. They're getting beat, beaten up by uh, just about every. All right. That's uh, that's enough basketball talk. That's enough for our podcast today. We'll be back next Thursday. It'll be the day before we get together with Brian Kelly and two days before the start of spring practice. We appreciate you joining us on Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.